Welcome into the Tim Talks Sports Podcast. My name is Tim, and on this podcast, we're going to be talking about sports. Specifically, we're going to be talking about the Denver Nuggets, the Colorado Rockies, the CSU Rams, maybe to a lesser extent, and uh, I don't think anything happened in football. Free agency hasn't gotten going yet. We did have a trade. We had player movement, but nothing as pertains to the Broncos. We're going to start with the Rockies. Now, I like to pat myself on the back here. I have gotten, until until about two hours ago, I was perfect uh, on the offseason with the exception of John Gray. Let me, let me explain a little bit. Before the offseason of the three major sports that I cover that have contractual, that, that the players play for money, professional sports, I uh, fill out player movement predictions for the offseason. The NFL is hard. Basketball, it's pretty easy. There's very few players. You know what a team needs. You know how much money uh, they have to spend. And you know how much a player is going to try to earn. um, How much that player is worth. You can predict all that fairly easily. Football is very hard because there are many thousands of players. You know, there are 90 guys that get the invites to camp. Well, there are many players that try to get those invites that fail. So it's harder to predict. You really just you have a basket of players and you have that idea. Baseball, I get pretty good because I, I, I see and I recognize the players that fit into the basket of players that the Rockies will target. I was perfect this year up until two hours ago, except with the exception of John Gray, because the John Gray entire drama did not make sense. Didn't make sense. So I, I anticipated them re-signing him to a long-term deal. That didn't happen. He's a ranger. He's going to make a lot of money. Good for him. I called Jose Iglesias. I called it to the penny, um, which was which was fucking sick. Actually, one I, I had two sheets going for some reason. On one sheet, I had $8 million. Another sheet, I had $5 million. Um, he wound up getting $5 million. So pat on the back, and uh, we go on. Then my first actual loss that I will credit myself with, because I'm not crediting myself with a loss on John Gray. That was bullshit. It's what they should have done. It's what the tea leaves said they were going to do, and then they tripped on their fucking millimeter dicks. Joe Kelly is the guy I had signed up for the bullpen. I had them paying him more or equivalent money in one season as his entire contract is with the Chicago White Sox. Um, it felt like they, well, they had said that they were going to go after a full-time closer, that they weren't happy with the players that they had on the roster closing games currently. So they said they were going to go after a closer. Joe Kelly, not exactly a closer. He has closer stuff. He's got a bulldog mentality. He strikes out 27% of the guys he faces, walks less than 10%. The guy is, he's a closer. He had a better than 50% ground ball ratio, which meant that he was a course field pitcher too. He throws almost 100 miles an hour. Everything lines up. He took a small deal to go and play for a, a, a team that's going to win this year. A team that is for sure going to win this year. The Rockies instead went with another closer, guy who has, I think I saw the fifth most saves in the last five years, Alex Colomay. Pitched for the Twins last year. He did not have a great season. It was a down year. The peripherals say that he should have done better. Um, but he... He did not have a great year. He doesn't have good strikeout numbers, which is why I didn't think they would go after him here. That's one thing that Jeff Breidich 
really tried to to put into place. And he didn't do a great job at it. But with guys like Herman Marquez and and, uh, and guys like that, what he tried to do is he tried to bring in players, Daniel Bard, bring in players who the ball wouldn't go into play, high strikeout players. It started back in the Walt Weiss era. You know, pre-Walt Weiss, they really wanted the ground ball guys. And then Walt Weiss, his last year here, was like, why don't we focus more on guys who the ball isn't going into play anymore? So that's kind of been a trend, or it had been. This column A signing, it's not something that I think is a very great signing. He's got a high ground ball rate, so he's technically in the course field range. But the strikeout range rates is too low. The walk rate, nah, sorry, the walk rate is also low compared to even Kelly. It's less than eight percent, which is good. The strikeout rate is only eight per per nine innings, which you want more than ten from your closer. Like Daniel Bard strikes out eleven per nine. Uh, he strikes out twenty percent, almost on the nose, maybe even on the nose of the batters that he faces. So. You know, it's it's not a guy that I anticipated them going after. Nevertheless, this is their closer next year. Unless he gets fucked, unless he sucks, that is the closer next year. The Rockies have a lot of depth when it comes to pitching. Not a lot of great depth, but they have guys that they can go to as far as quality pitchers in the bullpen now, which it was a it was a tough bullpen last year. But you got Colome. I'm a big Kinley guy. He strikes out a ton of guys. He walks a ton of guys, but he strikes out a bunch of guys. Sheffield, a Rule 5 guy from last year, had a great year. Gilbreth, rookie, Colorado native, had a great year. Estevez, we know what he is. He strikes guys out. He's not a closer, but he can be a good middle reliever. Chassin wound up being a great leverage reliever, and we brought him back. It was, it was a great signing. It was a no-brainer. Bard has been a failure, last year at least. And he wasn't like I mean, he was good the year before, but there were signs, right? The control was still not there. Every once in a while, there would be a 100-mile-an-hour fastball that the catchers have to jump up to receive. So Bard, you know, if he impacts the middle innings, then then that's where we're at. If he impacts the seventh, that's great. Uh, Robert Stevenson finished the year awesome. We're ecstatic about Bob Stevenson. I'm not a huge fan of his, but... The deal to bring him back in exchange for Jeff Hoffman, who just wasn't a fit for Coors Field and the altitude that comes with it. It's a, it's a great, it seems to be a great transaction. He was a throw-in. People were, I think I think people were more excited about uh, the center fielder they got with that I can't remember. Uh, but Bob Stevenson, I think, is is going to affect this bullpen in a positive way. Right now, we are looking for a starter, and at least one impact bat. Now, I kind of, I'd love to see a second impact bat, but as this is not going to be the year, right? And you've got prospects that are going to be moving up the ladder. You've got to find some space for Ella Juarez Montaro, Colton Welker, Ryan Valade, and uh, possibly even Michael Toglia to find at bats this year. Plus, you have to get at bats for the players who are on your roster, we're probably not going to see the second big salary player. But uh, we're still going to look for one outfielder and one starting pitcher. Now, the Rockies think that you can go get a right fielder and it's just as good, in my opinion, 
in my opinion, if you got a plus center fielder to pair with the outfield options that you currently have, a plus center fielder with a stick, there's not very many of them, it'd be expensive, but if you did that, then you're off to the races. In my opinion, I think that's how they should do it. You've got Sam Hilliard playing right field. You've got a plus center fielder. I was hoping for Byron Buxton, the injury history paired with the upcoming free agency. I thought that that would be a player that could be had. And he was on the market for a minute, but the Twins resigned him for big cash, so he's not going anywhere. Trey Mancini is possible. He's not that great of an outfielder. Brian Reynolds, um, Trey Mancini's homie, and I forget his name, down in Baltimore. That's probably your best option. At some point, the Orioles are going to stop trading their players, right, though? Because, I mean, they, they, they want to build something, and you build something with players. Uh, but anyways, I, I, I have Jorge Soler signed up because it's the least logical player that I think the Rockies could go after. Um, on another sheet, I have Jock Peterson, which I think makes a lot more sense, but he is turned more into a platoon guy. The Rockies are short on righty outfielders to platoon with him, unless you're platooning Ryan Valade, but I don't think those guys are right fielders at cores. Um, so we go round and round. Horace Allaire makes the least sense, so that's the guy the Rockies are going to get. He doesn't play a good outfield, um, but he can hit the shit out of the ball. He's probably got the smallest market of the big stick outfielders. So that's why I've got uh, pitcher. You know, this is more of a you've got players in a basket, and we'll see who the last one on the market is. I've got Tyler Anderson. Familiarity with cores. He's he's lingering in the league. You can have him for next to nothing. I've got Tyler Anderson, but there are. There's a bunch of players you could throw in there. You could throw maybe a Matt Harvey if he's not in jail or suspended. Um, players like that. It'll be interesting to see who the Rockies nail down in the coming days. I think that they'll have their roster figured out in the next three days. Spring training starts on Thursday. The first game, I should say, starts on Thursday. I think that they'll have ponied up for a right fielder by then, and I think we'll have a, another a veteran starting pitcher brought in. All right, let's talk Nuggets. Um, periphery, periphery, periphery story. Before we talk about the game, periphery story. Marky Morris made his first game back after Nikola Jokic took him out sixty games ago, almost. Now, I don't think anybody is shedding tears that Marky Morris was so hurt with whiplash that he had to miss 60 games. The guy's a douchebag, and he conducted himself as a douchebag on the court, so Nikola Jokic policed him for it. That being said, I mean, I'm not going to be one of the guys on the internet that's like, good, fuck that guy. <laughs> what Do I say that in the, in the privacy of my own home? Maybe. Who knows? But there's a lot of fuck that guy sentiment going, and it's not just from Nuggets fans, it's from the entire league, because the entire league is sick of the Morris Twins. I remember when they were coming out uh, of Kansas, and man, I was like, man, these guys are pretty good. They slipped out of the first round, I think. I think I think they were second round picks, but it seemed like they were pretty good. I lied. They slipped out of the top ten. That's what it was. You know, they were they were hot shit in college, and it seemed like they were going to be top of the round picks. They slipped out of the top 10, and uh, 
You know, this is why I think the guys can shoot. They're tough. They're big. They're talented, but they're they're kind of uh, douchebags. They're assholes, and nobody wants that. Nobody wants that on your team. I mean, we have one on our team right now, and it's really awesome when he plays well. But like tonight, we'll get into it. It was not awesome. All right, so the Nuggets played a, a basketball game today. Tonight, it just ended. 36 minutes of basketball, and I'm, I'm watching this basketball, and I'm like, this is some of the best basketball we've seen combined from both teams in a game. They both played very well for three quarters. Nikola Jokic visibly tired in the second half. You can tell because he hangs around the three-point line more than he did in the first half. He doesn't want to jockey for position with younger players. Scotty Barnes is too small to be handling him, but because he is young, thick, and athletic, he's able to affect the game against Nikola Jokic. Yeah, big gun. Anyways, three great, three great quarters of basketball. Now, the fourth quarter. And it starts with the bench. It starts with Boogie Cousins. Boogie Cousins gets so unhappy with the officials. He he is a poorly behaved child. And it's just so night and day between him and other career players, other veterans. When Boogie starts to get frustrated, you see the the Uncle Jeff persona of Uncle Jeff come out. And he comes onto the floor and he starts talking to officials because Boogie can no longer communicate with the officials without squealing, screeching, bitching, crying. And once officials get into his head about calls, he is no longer effective in any phase of the basketball game. He tries to be Boogie Cousins of 25 years old. He is not Boogie Cousins of 25 years old. When that fails, he doesn't play defense. There were two times that I noticed, I'm sure it happened more than this, two times that I noticed when guys asked for him to pass the ball in, and he refused to. He wasn't getting back on defense. He was jogging, you know, I mean, and slow jogging. It was like when he was hurt when he first came here, and, uh, you know, he's just trudging along like he's a quicksand or whatever. Now, I, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt in one way. The officials, officiating is the worst part of professional sports, any kind of sport. I think we can all agree about on that because it doesn't matter if your team is good or bad. If they're having a good game or a bad game, an official can come in and adversely affect it. For example, I watched two basketball games in the last two days. I know it's March Madness. I should be watching more. Uh, but I mean, I don't want to blow my load. I also do movie podcasts. I also do stock podcasts. So I watch other things. I, uh, watched two games in the last two nights, San Diego State versus CSU, Toronto versus Denver. What do both teams have in common? They are ferocious defensively. They are long and they are active and they are physical. One thing I don't like about officials, and it is irrefutable, is that if a team has a reputation as being a tough defensive team, they get away with more fouls than if a team is more like the Nuggets where they're just going to play you straight up. They don't have an edge in that specific area, but they're also not pussies. Like, if you try to push Nikola Jokic or 
DeMarcus Cousins out of the way, it's not going to work. Jermichael Green's a tough son of a bitch. You better watch out. Austin Rivers, you know, he knows what he's about. But they're not, they're not actively sprinting around with their hair on fire like these teams are. I watch both these games, and I'm like, every time a defender engages an offensive player, they are touching him. Which, there is legal touching, and there is illegal touching. It seems like, though, when you are reaching and scratching and batting, every time you engage an offensive player, there should be more reaching fouls. There should be more blocking fouls. You know, it just, it seems like, and it, it it's a different, it's a different story, but it's, it's, it's not a good comparison. But it's an example of how leagues judge players differently. In the 90s, Greg Maddox had a strike zone that was three inches outside the plate on either side. Nobody else did. Well, that's not true. Randy Johnson did. Roger Clemens did. Pedro Martinez did. The great players got the extra three inches because umpires knew that that's where the ball was intended to go. That was where the ball was supposed to go. And because it went exactly where they wanted it to, the, the perfect command, along with the pedigree of having Cy Young Awards, officials gave them those inches. Now, John Gray does not have that pedigree, right? Good pitcher, I like John Gray a lot, does not have that pedigree. He never learned to master his command. He often threw pitches on the wrong side of the plate. Now, sometimes they were still strikes, but because the catcher is reaching, the, uh, the official is not going to call that a strike. Now, what I'm saying is is that it is commonplace across all sports for certain players to get certain whistles. Tom Brady, if you touch Tom Brady while he was a player, he is you're going to get a you're going to get a roughing the passer call. Peyton Manning the same way. You're going to get a roughing the passer call. Those are the faces of the league. The NFL doesn't want you to rough them up for a sack, right? Now, those are just such different ex- cases to me because those are cases built off pedigree. For example, in the NBA, LeBron James played the Denver Nuggets in the 2020 bubble postseason. The fouls were the same, but the free throw numbers were not. And LeBron James had the audacity to contact the league and say that he wasn't getting the calls that he wanted. Or Frank Vogel did. Somebody did it. And and the whistles got better for him. The whistle increased for him. Now, that is something that happens more commonplace in the NBA, too. It's, It's easier to quantify because Joel Embiid is at the stripe. 20 times a game, you know, 15 times a game, whatever it is. Antetokounmpo is at the stripe 15 times a game. James Harden, 10 times a game. Little Nicole Jokic, 6 times a game. What I'm saying is that officials call games unevenly based on pedigree in every sport. What does not make sense to me is for officials to call teams differently based on their own play style. For example, Garrett Bowles. Well known in the league to hold every fucking play, right? He got penalties for it two years ago, in the uh, two years ago, and uh, the league kind of said, eh, "We won't throw those anymore, those flags anymore, because we want to keep quarterbacks upright 
during the pandemic. We have enough problems in the pandemic. We want to keep our quarterbacks upright. But in a pre-pandemic era, Garrett Bowles holding all the time, regularly getting multiple holding penalties a game. Okay, so this is his his game plan stylistically. Should the officials then alter how they call him because his style of blocking the pass rusher is to hold the absolute shit out of him? No. Which is why basketball baffles me, because they do this. In basketball, if a defense's style is to be ruthless and tough and physical and badgering and be constantly up on you and therefore fouling every couple of minutes, I mean, officials don't blow the whistle. And part of me is like, man, that'd be a really boring game if we're going to the line the entire game because they are actively fouling the absolute shit out of you. You know, that... That'd probably be a boring game. That being said, I just, I hate it so much when there's an inequity to the game, an inequality to the game. If the Nuggets show up tomorrow, sorry, Monday, and they're in Philadelphia, and they play active hands defense, they're in the grills of the of the 76ers, and they are actively beating the shit out of them, I mean... I would hope it would be called the same way, but it wouldn't be because the Nuggets have not established a pedigree of being a pesky defense. I just, it just has struck me the wrong way because I've watched games where this has been the case twice in a row. That being said, Boogie Cousins needs, this has been a problem his entire career where he needs to not complain incessantly about the officials. He needs to not let things get him down. Now, would it be different if he was making baskets and he was getting the fuck fouled out of him? Probably. But right now, he's looking like a guy that you wish was still in a 10-day because his attitude has gotten largely terrible during his struggles. Alright, let's check out the box. The striking thing to me is Denver's point total got more than doubled in the fourth quarter. 34-16 to 16 in the fourth. And if you're if you're looking for trends, I mean, I see one of them right now, and it's terrifying. The Nuggets had 39 rebounds, and the Raptors had 50 total rebounds. That is incredible to be plus 11 rebounding. What's more incredible is okay, the Nuggets nine offensive rebounds. Sorry, I just had an ad pop up um, on this web page. It scared the absolute shit out of me. Hopefully, that doesn't come through on the recording. So, um, the Nuggets were, had nine offensive rebounds, and the Raptors had 23 offensive rebounds. Chris Boucher had nine offensive rebounds himself. To be plus 14 on the offensive glass is completely asinine. It's insane. And it was all the bench, man. Look at this. Scotty Barnes plus 15. He's the only starter in positives. That, that includes Pascal Siakam, who had 33 points. The bench dominated our bench. And Boogie Cousins is a big reason why. Boogie Cousins, one of six. All of his points come from the free throw line. Five of five from the line of his seven points. Now, if I'm Michael Malone, do I maybe consider putting Jermichael Green in to close? Yeah, probably, as they, they have asserted themselves as the dominant team on the offensive side of the class. That being said, I mean, I just don't think that once that bench got taken to the woodshed, man. It just, it wasn't going to happen. And 
It wasn't just Boogie, though. Jermichael Green getting outboarded. Austin Rivers turning the ball over. Well, he just had one turnover. It, looked, it, just, it seemed like a lot more than that. Air balls. Not playing super well. He was 2 or 3 from 3, but he was a minus 10. Not great. Let's go player by player. Jeff Green, I think, had a pretty good game. 1 of 4 from the stripe, which sucks ass, obviously. Uh, but 6 of 7. Lots of cool dunks. Uh, he had a block that was very memorable. He played well. Will Barton had a bad game. Um, and it sucks. Like, I, I, I don't want to be the guy who shits on him. He got booed at home tonight. It's hard, right? But, like, he is not only, like, not a spectacular basketball player. He is a very dumb basketball player. He makes very low IQ plays quite frequently. He's a terrible, terrible defender. He is the worst on-ball defender on the team. I don't care if you have metrics that show me different. I have eyes that see him as the worst on-ball defender on this team. Every once in a while, he'll record a slap, a steal, a block. Tonight he had zero. Zero, zero. Team high minus 12. Team low minus 12, I should say. Nikola Jokic. 26-10-7. Two blocks. He got out-rebounded a lot tonight. He uh, he had a couple defensive stints where he no-showed. Did Nikola Jokic have a bad game? No. He was the only player, not the only player, he was one of the few players who played well for the Nuggets, but he did. He's not faultless, right? He had a couple plays where he could have played better. He had a, f- a really phenomenal first quarter. I feel like he had a great third quarter, uh, but he, had a, he was a minus four, which is wild to me that we had somebody in the positive, and it's not any of the players that you would think. Monte Morris, I didn't feel like he had a bad game, right? Four or six, one or two from the stripe, 0 for 1 from 3, six assists, only one turnover, nine points. I mean, could he have done more? Sure. He had one really embarrassing shot where he got blocked laughably. He was holding the ball extended for way too long, and he got just destroyed. But I don't feel like he had a bad game. It's pretty clear that Michael Malone wanted to get the guys a little bit of breathing time. The minutes are low, even for having a minute and a half, two minutes of garbage time. So, uh, Davon Reed, the only plus player on the entire team. Wild. Just wild. Uh, 205 from uh, the field, 003 from 3, 101 from the stripe. But And he commits fouls. He had three fouls, but he provides physical play. Toughness. It's a strong player. He makes Pascal Siakam work. He made him work tonight. And I just I thought he I thought he played very well. For who he is, Davon Reed is a two-way player. I thought he played very well. Ja Green, Ja Green. I mean, the line doesn't look bad, minus five, but he got out he's not the athletic player that those guys are. You'd love to see this team compete against a team like the Raptors. With the height back, with Zeke Naji, with Aaron Gordon, with Michael Porter Jr., taller players, because this team, the Toronto Raptors, all they do is tall. They're tall and lanky. That's all they do. If you add a little bit more offensive rebounding, defensive rebounding, it's probably a dub. DeMarcus Cousins, it was, it was putrid, man. It was really bad. His attitude towards his teammates, it was really ugly to watch, and 
I don't know if he plays. I mean, he might have to. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, they got DeAndre Jordan backing up Embiid, so he might have to play. Um, but just just ugly. Just ugly ball. Uh, Faku got garbage time. Howard got garbage time. Bones had a good game. Uh, well, it's so hard because you're painting a game with a broad brush. He scored a lot of points. 17 points, 5-7 from 3, 6-12 from the field, 0-1 from the stripe, and it was a technical shot. Sorry, I have a rogue golf ball making noise. Um, he shot well, you know, but he made a lot of rookie mistakes. He had four fouls, a turnover, and he had a lot of instances where he olayed on defense. Only three rebounds. I mean, and a lot of this is Michael Malone. There are a lot of tiny guard lineups in play. And this is, I mean, this isn't the biggest team in the league, but Fred Van Vliet is the only small player on this roster that's playing. They don't have a, a center. But everybody on this roster is six for the Raptors is six foot six to six foot nine, you know. So to be playing these tiny guard lineups, it's tough. It's really tough. They needed Aaron Gordon tonight. But even still, there there would have been the tiny guard lineup coming off the bench, and who knows? Austin Rivers, the line again. The line looks fair, but you watch the game, you see the mistakes. You see the air balls, air ball. There was just one air ball. It was very loud though, and you see. The bad turnovers. One bad turnover, it felt like a thousand of them. His defense is important, but when he plays bad, it's loud. And it was loud tonight. Brent Forbes, you know, I mean, he was there. He sure was. He was 2 of 5 from 3, which is fine, 3 of 6. If He has to get loose. He has to take more shots. He is the best three-point shooter on the team, and he has to take more shots. I mean, that is one of the strengths of this team is the bench spaces the floor, or should be. Those three guards should be able to space the floor so the bigs in the paint can operate. It hasn't worked the last three games. I don't know if they're tired. I mean, Boogie, I mean, it would seem fair that Boogie would be tired. He's not a spring chicken. He's out of shape a little bit. And uh, they played four games in five nights. And they just played one of the most athletic teams in the league. The sky is not falling, but damn, it would have been cool to win this game. They still seem exhausted. They could use a, a respite from two max players. And I'm not calling Jamal Murray weak. That's not what that bit was during the last show. What it is, is I just I, I want him to be back. I think the team needs him back so badly. And I hope that when he's physically cleared to play, he will make an attempt to play. But we're not expecting Bubble Murray. We can't expect Bubble Murray. But it would be good to have him back. It'd be good to have Porter back. I mean, just to further spread that defense out and add height. If you replace one of the guards that are 6'4 or shorter with a guy who's 6'11, think of that value on the bench. You don't have to you don't have to start him. Although getting Jeff Green out of that starting lineup would probably not be bad. Like I think on the whole, Jeff Green's been a net positive, the way he's interacted with Jokic, but he hasn't cut very much lately. He's been a lot of just standing there. Um, you see the highlights, and it's like Facuna Composo. You see the highlights, but what are they doing for the whole game? Not just for seconds at a time. So Nuggets lose, 127-115. It's not, it's not a big deal. Would it be cool to win at home? Yeah, we lost two consecutive games at home. 
20 and 13. That's tough. It's really tough. And it's going to take a lot of work to bypass the teams in front of them, even though they run a hot stretch. It's just tough shit. You know, the best teams in the league, they run a hot stretch too. Go figure. So it seems like we're pretty much stuck in the sixth seed. And uh, let's kind of see where, where we go. I mean, we've got 14 games left. That's crazy. It's crazy that there are only 14 games left. And for some reason, we still think we can get Jamal Murray back. Like, that's that's just not a realistic possibility, I don't think, anymore. Which is, it's really sad. That was the hope from Jump Street, is that we would get him back and he would be the Messiah. But I guess, I guess we're going to have to wait for next year. All right, uh, everybody, thanks for listening. This has been Tim Talks Sports. Um, if you wouldn't mind subscribing to the show, writing a review, telling your friends, sharing it around, liking me on Twitter at Tim Talks, or sorry, at Tim Talks Pod. Let me make sure that I just said that correctly because now that I said that, it doesn't sound right. At Tim Talks Pod at Twitter.com. Yeah. Um, go ahead and give me a follow. Um, check out the other shows on the page. As of right now, actually, it's just Tim Talks Sports and Tim Talks Broncos. But check out the Broncos shows. And I've put out two other uh, Tim Talks Sports episodes. We're going to get a Tim Talks Movies episode up there soon. Um, I recorded a review for The Batman, which went well. But then I recorded one for The Atom Project. And it sounded terrible. So I'm going to listen to it and see if I want to do it again. So if not, it might just you might just have to figure out the Atom Project for yourself. And I'll put the, bat, the Batman up tomorrow. So we'll kind of see. Uh, also, I'm on YouTube. I, I, I'm a day trader. Um, Tim Talks Stocks on YouTube. Uh, I do a pre-market show. I do a trade recap. And then I'll also be doing swing trading uh, review stuff in the afternoon. So, yeah, just uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Uh, it's Selection Sunday. And uh, hopefully a couple more free agents for Major League Baseball. Maybe we'll do topic for the Broncos, talk about free agents and stuff. Um, I know I, maybe, maybe I'll wait till Monday and do that on the Broncos show, but uh, we'll figure it out. Um, thank you for listening. Y'all have a great rest of your day. Peace. Peace out, my homies.